You'll see a sign occasionally that says he's the reason for the season. And we may not like that, but it's a fact. There wouldn't be a Christmas if there wasn't a Christ. And I've never been one to ignore the fact that we're assembled on a day like Christmas. And I like to take advantage of that opportunity to remind us of what's important. Jesus did come to this earth. And we realize that when you look at the scene of His birth, you see that He was laid in a manger. We see that the shepherds came. They heard the announcement. And that's something that is very important in that story. We just sang a song about the wonderful story of love. It began all the way back in the beginning of time. But strangely, the Bible is silent when it comes to the day or the month or even the year that Jesus came into this world. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there in the beginning, and He still exists today. And it's important because if you drop down to about verse 14 of that same chapter, you can find where the Word became flesh. And so that is important. The birth of Christ is, uh, is important, but there was no theological uh, significance in, to the early Christians. And that may seem strange to a lot of people. I know that I, in the work that I do, sometimes I'm in places and people say, oh, you must be busy at this time of the year. I was at the eye doctor not too long ago. He set up an appointment for me like a few months ahead. And he said, oh, I know that's December and that's a busy time of the year for you. Well, it wasn't busy because of what he thought. Because when I went back in December, he said, uh, you're probably working on pageants and choir practice and all those things. And I said, uh, no. Well, that's hard to explain to some people. Because they see it in the world, in the religious world, that they make a big deal of the birth of Christ. But the Bible doesn't say anything about the birth of Christ except that He came into this world. And it shows us what happened when He came into this world. And He was born to die. That's why He came to this earth. And people sometimes struggle with that. But that's why He came to this earth. And that's a, you see that phrase sometimes tattooed on someone, and it's really, a, to them, it's kind of a sign of depression or they're not real happy about life. But the fact of the matter is, with Jesus, He was born to die. And even in the, birth of his, uh, the announcement of, at His birth, we see that there's a hint that He was going to die. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 10 that was read for us, it says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you, this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, Matthew's account says, and while, he brought on, and while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save, shall save his people from their sins. I would imagine that the children of Israel or the Jews at that particular time would have thought that Jesus was coming to deliver them from the power of Rome. 
But the fact of the matter is, even in this announcement, you see a hint of what was going to happen. Because He, was, he came to be the Savior of this world. To die for our sins. And that's what is hinted at right there. And it goes all the way back into Genesis chapter 3 where we see the first sin where God had a plan for a Savior to come to this world. And you see that promise carried throughout the Old Testament and then we see it fulfilled when the fullness of time was come. Jesus came and He died for our sins. And so the Bible places more emphasis on His death than on His birth. And we need to understand how important it is. And that doesn't mean that the birth of Christ wasn't important because there were things about that birth that showed that He was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah that they were to look for. Because there was Old Testament prophecies concerning the virgin birth, that a virgin would have a, would bring forth a child. And we see that took place. And so that's something that is very important. But note... What the Bible tells us is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ that has been memorialized in the Bible. And that's what we are to remember, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so this morning, I want us to look at some of the things that we have in our worship and in our lives that show us the importance of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We realize that as we assemble today, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And that is one of the things that God has given us, that Jesus has given us as a memorial to remind us of His death. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse, beginning in verse 26, it says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. And He took the cup and He gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in My Father's kingdom. There Jesus is telling us that He's established this memorial to remind us of His death and what He was going to go through. And then we see in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us in chapter 11, beginning of verse 23, where it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take Eve, this is My body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of Me. And after the same manner also He took the cup which he, when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood. This do as often as ye drink it and in remembrance of Me. For as often as ye eat this bread and ye drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until He comes. And so on every Sunday, every first day of the week, we see that we assemble and we partake of the Lord's Supper as Christians to remind us of what Jesus did on the cross. That's what's important. His death. He died for our sins. He obviously had to enter this world through His birth, but it's the death that really is what's important of what Jesus did for you and I. And we can see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 where it says that they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. So they continued assembling and reminding themselves of what Jesus did when they partook of the Lord's Supper. And we see that that was established and they gathered together on the first day of the week as Acts chapter 20 verse 7 tells us. And the purpose to come together was to, re to remember that memorial that Jesus had established. And so we're reminded of His death. That's what we uh, come together to do. But we also see that His burial is, is a memorial also. 
In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, it tells us, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. And so when we obey the Gospel, that's the command that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. That Gospel message is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And when we obey that, and when we hear that message, and we believe that Jesus died for our sins, and that He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Christ, then we need to understand that we need to be buried in that water. We go down in that water, and we come up out of that water. And so again, we represent the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, beginning in verse 11, it says, "...in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God." who hath raised Him from the dead. And so when we go down in that water, it's that blood that cleanses us, but we're buried and we rise up just like Christ came forth out of the grave. And when we come up out of that grave, out of that watery grave, the Bible tells us that we're a new creature in Christ. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 22, it says, "...let us draw near with a true heart." in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So it's that water. We go down in that water and that's the act that cleanses us. It's by faith that we do those things. In Revelation chapter 1, and verse 5, "...and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood." And so again, we see that picture, the blood of Christ, which was shed in His death on the cross. He died and that soldier came through to make sure that he was dead, pierced his side, and what came forth? Blood and water. And so we see what Jesus did. And when we're baptized into Christ, we, we reenact or we show the, how we remember what Jesus did in His death, burial, and the resurrection. And then again, we see the first day of the week as a memorial of His resurrection. Because in Mark chapter 16, verse 9, it says, Now when Jesus was risen, early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, of whom He had cast seven devils. And so we see there that on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord came forth out of the grave, and He rose from the dead. In Revelation chapter 1, and verse 10, it talks about John when he's... Uh, been, uh, has been had the revelation being revealed to him. It says there in verse 10, it says, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. So what, was it, what, what day was that? Well, it was the first day of the week because that was the day that the Lord had risen. As we discussed in our Bible class this morning, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 tells us not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? That day is the first day. The first day of the week. We see that day coming. We need to be prepared for it. We need to be ready for it. It isn't something that we just happen to be here. We make plans to be here. We plan to be here. We prepare ourselves. Just like the children of Israel had to prepare themselves when they were to offer sacrifices. We're to prepare ourselves when we come to worship God. It's just not something that we just show up for. We plan to be here. We want to be here. 
We should be excited to be here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. They assembled upon the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7, they came together on the first day of the week to break bread. We see here that they came together on the first day of the week and they took up a collection, just like we do on Sunday, the first day of the week. So three things there that show us that what's important, and it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And all of those are memorialized for us to remind us of the death of Christ. And so when we look at what the Bible teaches, we understand why there is great emphasis that is placed on the death and not the birth of Christ. You see, the, the death of Christ demands our death to sin. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. When we obey the Gospel, when we do those memorials, when we go down in that water, we come up out of that water, we're a new creature. We're supposed to be living for Christ. That's what uh, Christian means, Christ-like. And when we look in the mirror, do we see Christ in our lives? Is it something that is there all the time? Is Christ in our life every day of the week, every hour of the day? Or is it only on Sunday morning? You see, Christ, or Paul is telling us that Christ lived in him every day. No longer he lived, but Christ. We represent Christ in our lives in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? that grace may, may abound, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So the whole purpose of baptism is we go down in that water, we come up a new creature. We die to sin. We don't want to live in that condition. Why? Because when we were living in the world, when we were living in sin under the bondage of sin, we were dead. And what made us alive was obeying the Gospel. Spiritually speaking, God is telling us that we were dead and now we are alive and we rise up to walk that new life. That means we leave that sinful life behind, we stop doing those things, and we live the Christian life. And we're striving to the best of our ability to be as much like Christ as we possibly can. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Why would we want to go back into the world when we've escaped those things that caused us to be separated from God? We're a new creature in Christ. His resurrection also demands our resurrection to a new life. What does that mean? Well, in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3, it tells us or gives us a hint as to how we're supposed to be living our lives. If ye then be risen with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When we come up out of that watery grave of baptism, we're a Christian, a new person. Our affections should set up, be set on the things above, not on the things of this earth. You see, this earth is temporary. All the things that are in this life are temporary. We see that every day. Things are destroyed. Things are burned up. Things are, are eaten away. Uh, rust our seed, our cars, and we see how things happen. But we look for something that's better, something that's permanent. And that's our home in heaven. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, it says, If any man come after me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, if you want to be one of my, my followers, you want to be Christ-like, then Christ has to be first in your life. God has to be first, number one, in your life. And that's why we're striving to live like Christ. And we can't allow anything to come in the way of that, that uh, responsibility that we have. We can't allow our parents, our spouses, our children to get in the way. God isn't saying, hate them. He's saying, love them less than you love me. I have to be number one. So God has to come first in our lives. And that's what He expects out of you and I. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God expects to be number one. He demands to be number one. And when we look at all the things that He's done for us, He deserves to be number one in our lives. You see, it's easy to bow to a manger. Because that manger, with that baby in that manger, he makes no demands. But there's a vast it's vastly different more difficult to be to bow to the crucified Savior who died for our sins. Because Jesus makes demands out of us that sometimes we don't want to accept. We find an example of that in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 60. It says, And many therefore of His disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples murmured at it, He said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye see the Son of Man ascend up where He was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray Him. And He said, Therefore I say unto you, that no man can come unto Me except it be given unto him of My Father. For that time, from that time many of His disciples went back and walk no more with Him. Jesus realized that He has a high expectation of His followers. And sometimes people see those things and they don't want to follow. And we see an example here where some forsook. They left, they left Jesus. They stopped following Him. And I suppose that that's a better decision than what some do. Because some want to pretend that they're followers, but yet they live for the devil. They live any way that they so choose. That can't be right. God's not happy with that. 
And so we need to follow Christ and we need to wholeheartedly follow Christ. It can't be partial. It has to be 100%. Take a look at some of the things that the death of Christ accomplished. It procured our redemption. That means we were bought with His blood and He saved us from the bondage of sin. We were separated from God because of our sin. And it was His blood that was shed and our obedience to that Gospel that allows us to be redeemed. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, "...for as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot." We've been bought back. We've been redeemed. Not with silver and gold. Not with something that can be corrupted, it says but with the precious blood of Christ. What does that mean? That means I can't buy that redemption. I can only have that redemption by being obedient to Christ. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. If I want to have that redemption, I have to do God's will. I can't do it the way I want. Or what someone else decides that I can do. I have to do what God says I have to do. Then Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of His grace." We also see that it brings our sanctification. It means that we've been set apart. We're separated from the world. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, "...then said He, Lo, I come to do Thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that He may establish the second." by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Christ died so that He could set people apart from the world. He could separate us, the sheep from the goats. He could separate us and make us in the situation, put us where He wants us to be in His church. That's what happens. He adds us to the church. He sets us apart. And that's what the Gospel does. It calls us out of the world. And we can be a part of His kingdom. And that's important. And Jesus did that so that we can be set apart. And when we will comply to His plan, then we can have that sanctification. We also see that it means the remission of sin. Sin washed away by the blood of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning of verse 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that He should offer Himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year for the blood of others. For then must he often often have suffered since the foundations of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to, to put all put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, as Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear that second time without sin unto salvation. 
That passage of Scripture is telling us what took place in the Old Testament, that the high priest would go in and he'd offer, the sins for the, offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people once a year. And as we know what the Bible teaches, it didn't remove their sin, but it moved it ahead a year. They had to remember those sins annually. And here we see that Jesus went into that holy place one time. And because He did that, we can have that uh, sanctification. We can have the remission of sin. We can have redemption because He did those things for us. And He did that once. And when He did it once, that was enough. And that blood was shed. And that blood, as for a Christian, will continually cleanse us when we take care of our sin as God has instructed us to do in 1 John chapter 1. We also see that it propitiates our sin it means that we regain favor with God. Sin separates us. And He doesn't hear us. And He's not going to follow us or listen to us when we're living in that sinful state. And so Jesus died so that we could have favor with God once again. We could be reconciled back. As Romans chapter 3 and verse 25 tells us, "...whom God has set to be the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness..." for the remission of sins that are passed throughout the, through the forbearance of God. That's what Jesus did. We have to have faith in His blood. We have to trust that blood. That that blood will cleanse us. And many times we may look at blood and we say, well, that doesn't seem like it would cleanse us. It seems like that would stain us. But it's that precious blood that actually takes away our sin. And we're cleansed by that blood because that's the only perfect sacrifice that could be offered for you and me. That Word became flesh so that you and I could die in a saved condition. He came to this earth and died for you and me. That's what Jesus did. And by His death, we are brought near to God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, "...but now in Christ Jesus..." Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We're able to be reconciled back to God. We can draw near to God. He'll hear our prayers. We can expect Him to answer those prayers. It may not be the answer that you want. It may not be what you would like. But our desire when we pray should always be Your will be done, not ours. And when we do that, we can accept what God's given us. And so we can be thankful for what He's done He's washed us by His blood. Revelation chapter 7, verses 13-14. through 14. And the one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And hence they came they. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We see there a picture of those who are in a saved condition. And their robes are white. And that's what represents pureness with God. And what made them pure? That precious blood that was shed when He died on the cross. And it's through His blood that we have eternal redemption. As it tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, neither by the blood of bulls and or by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He saved us from Satan. And he made that possible for all people. You see, that gospel has appeared to all men, but not all men are going to accept that gospel. Not everybody wants to believe what Jesus did, that He did it for them. 
But He has. And He came to this earth. And He was born here in this life to die on a cross so that you and I could have that salvation. And one of the major problems of Christmas is that it shifts the focus from the cross to the manger. It makes it where people see something that's pleasant because they don't want to see something that isn't so pleasant. When we see Jesus dying on the cross, when we read in the Scripture of the agony in the garden and then the pain on the cross, and you can see the words that He cries out while He's hanging on that cross, that's not something that people want to hear. But Paul said that we preach that. And we preach it so that people can be saved. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have salvation. We can have a place that's been prepared for us, as John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4 tells us. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. The question is, are you going there? Is He your priority in this life? Is He number one in your life? Are you living the Christian life and are you representing Christ in everything that you do? Does the world see Christ living in you? If not, then maybe you should make changes in your life. You see, today, there are probably millions of presents that have been opened. But the greatest gift that has ever given was God sending His Son to die on a cross for you and me. Now, in our house, we haven't opened our presents yet. But wouldn't it be awful if we said, we're not ever going to open those presents? Ben would really be upset if I said that. But what if we never opened them? We just left them there. We never ever took advantage of what was in the package. That's what people do with Christ. He's the greatest gift that's ever been offered to you. But yet some people reject that gift and leave it. And will remain lost because they don't want to accept God's terms. You see, there's many in the religious world that are doing things contrary to what the Bible teaches one must do in order to be saved. And they can justify it any way that they may wish. But if it's contrary to God's will, it's not going to save their soul. Don't walk away from the gift of God's salvation because you want to accept something that some man has come up with. Jesus said, Go unto all the world and preach the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, First Corinthians chapter one, verses one through, or chapter fifteen, verses one through five, show us what that gospel is. And that's the gospel: is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, and he was buried, and according to the scripture, he rose on the third day. That's what that gospel message is. He did all of that for you, so that you could have your sins washed away. And so Jesus said, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach that message. He that believeth." and is baptized, shall be saved. Believes what? Believes that message, that gospel message, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He died for their sins, and that He was buried and He rose victorious over the grave. Are you willing to do that today? If you haven't done what the Bible says you must do in order to be saved, I want to encourage you to do what's right. 
And I want you to accept that gift. Don't walk away from that gift because that's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Because someday we're all going to stand before God and give an account of our lives, whether we're ready or not. And we're going to be judged by Jesus Christ Himself. And we're going to answer to Him. So the question this morning is, are you a Christian? And if not, Jesus came to this earth to show you what you needed to do. And you have the opportunity this morning to do it. So if you have any need, we'd encourage you to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.